Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Fabrication Friday podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fairley, certified prosthetist, 3D printing enthusiast, and owner of Ascent Fabrication. Fabrication Friday is an all-around fun time where I talk about 3D printing applications, conduct interviews with industry leaders, and much more. Come join us every Friday for an informational discussion around the evolution of the additive manufacturing field and how we utilize various digital workflows and 3D printing methods in our daily work at Ascent Fabrication. All right. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Fabrication Friday coming back to you after a few months of being on pause. Uh, I'm Joe Fairley, owner of Ascent Fabrication here in upstate New York, uh, where we provide central fabrication services for the prosthetic and orthotic field, um, as well as on-site and in-person training on uh, some of the 3D printers that we have and use daily. Uh, one of the couple 3D printers actually are right here in the background for me. And uh, I have the opportunity here to bring in Mike Gorski again, owner of Filament Innovations. Uh, he was with us uh, on one of our previous uh, Fabrication Friday podcast a few months ago, uh, bringing him back for some new updates from Filament Innovations and uh, chatting about his time at Rapid. So, uh, yeah, Mike, take it away. Yeah, Joe, I appreciate you having me on. So my name is Mike Gorski from Filament Innovations. We had a hell of a time at Rapid. So we did not have a booth, but <clears throat> we went out there as a team. We walked the floor and I got to say, being able to walk the floor and not being tied to a booth is awesome. <laughs> it's really <laughs> nice just to be able to walk around, shake some hands, talk to people and and see what's going on in, in the industry. And what I saw the next shift and kind of one of the things I was planning for as a business owner and it was definitely reinforced out there at Rapid is pellet extrusion. Yeah. Pellet extrusion definitely seems to be the next iteration of 3D printing. It's been talked about for a lot of years, but I think just now we're ready to go mainstream. When I say we, I mean we as an industry, I think we're ready to push mm -hmm. this technology mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, pellet extrusion to me, seems like a uh, kind of the starting point of where 3D printing came from, right? And then uh, now we're kind of going full circle back to it with uh, more innovative technology there. Um, can you kind of just take me through maybe a little bit of what you know about the evolution of pellet extrusion? Yeah, so the whole concept of pellet extrusion, right? Let me start with how, how we make filaments. We make filament by taking the pellets, you'll say like the raw stock, the plastic, you know, its original form, melting it, stretching it, and converting it into a monofilament, right? And that monofilament has to be held in a 1.75 millimeter tolerance, or sorry, 1.75 millimeter diameter in respect of tolerance, and 2.85 diameter filament in respect of tolerances. Now, being able to go from the raw stock, the pellets, directly into an application, I'll say a device that can melt the plastic and actually make the form, we're eliminating the need for filament. So we can now take the raw material, put it in a specialized extruder, which has a specialized screw and barrel that heats up, melts it and deposits it just like you would, you know, with a regular filament based extruder. Mm -hmm. Financially, you're looking at about a 50 to 60% cost savings by going into a pellet 3D printer. What happens though, you're not necessarily going to be able to print super tiny objects with a pellet printer. Pellet printers are designed for medium to larger scale objects because the larger, the smallest nozzle that we use on the Pulsar system from Dyes Design is the one millimeter. 
So the Pulsar can accept nozzles ranging from one millimeter all the way up to five millimeter diameter. But you can see already, you're not going to be able to do small stuff like some people are used to using a 0 0.4, 0 0.6 nozzle. One of the reasons why we believe pellet extrusion is now ready for mass adoption is because even though the, the Pulsar is fully owned by Dyes Design, it's their baby, they did a great job with it. We've been working with them over the years as a beta tester, seeing how we can make it better and working with their team. And I think the feedback we'd be able to give Dyes Design with the Pulsar and our application knowledge on our side, the product is phenomenal. I mean, it, it's yeah. a phenomenal product. It's one of the few, if the only pellet systems I know that have an anti-ooze mechanism built in. I'm not sure. Okay. Please don't quote me on that. I don't sure. know. Yeah. But I'll what's interesting, right, exactly. I don't know. I don't want to have a patent lawyer for another company calling me. No, we have this too. But yeah. the interesting thing with a pellet system, you can't retract. So imagine how you're going to do your travel move. So right. you can't go left to the right on the print, especially with that much molted plastic in the barrel. It's going to ooze right out. Mm -hmm. There's actually a mechanical anti-ooze mechanism built into the Pulsar. And if we use a smaller nozzle, we're finding that we can pick up the Pulsar, move it over, and go back to doing a regular print with some really nice detail and okay. not have any – and have no oozing at all. Okay. So we're seeing that. We're seeing the feeding capabilities changing. Mm -hmm. Typically, you'll see – a gravity fed hopper, right? So we have a hose that goes into the pellet system and there's a little hopper on top. I don't personally like that style. Now for me saying that you can yeah. have 5,000 people disagree yeah. with me and I get that. There's always going to be somebody, right. so, but right. when you're using a gravity based system, it's easy to get clogs. Sure. So there's an automatic pellet system feeding system in our machines now that actually pull out of a specialized dryer that we designed so now we can have our pellets drying off to the side and being pneumatically pulled into the machine and right. a constant feed of pellets as needed coming down into the Pulsar pellet system. So we've really have created a turnkey pellet feeding, pellet operation, pellet everything 3D printer, right? We're trying to take the nuances of pellet extrusion that were there and essentially create an ecosystem that's turnkey for pellet printing. Right. And I, I'm very happy to say I believe the Aries has accomplished that because outside of the mechanics of the operation, you have to worry about the slicing software too. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any slicers that are turnkey ready for pellet extrusion. Some slicers you can hack together to make it work. It's not very clean. It's not very intuitive. There's some crazy complex systems out there to get it done. It's no secret at all that we've worked with Create It Real company mm -hmm. out of Europe that creates custom slicing solutions. Yeah. And they worked with us to create a slicer called Odin, which is based on their, their platform of the created real engine specifically for pellet extrusion. So what's really cool is now we can take an STL file and we can slice it and we can send it to the printer just the same way that you'd be doing a filament based print. And we think that's really awesome because now we believe we have, a machine that's easier to use than a filament system. Right. And by going to a pellet system, filament diameter, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Right. So if you have a diameter for filament that's out of spec, it's going to clog the hot end, it's going to jam the hot end, you're going to have that out of spec filament going into your extruder. Not anymore. Not anymore. So we can just pull the raw stock into the Pulsar pellet system as needed. And that idea of a filament jam or being out of tolerance just goes out the window. 
Yeah, that's definitely one little headache of, uh, you know, having uh, the different filaments out there with different diameters and with working with different printers and then also having to worry about inconsistencies in batches. Um, it happens to the best of the filament companies out there. You know, they're right. uh, they're joking you if they say they don't have those problems. But, uh, you know, definitely interesting to see that, you know, with pellet extrusion, we're, we're coming into this area where you're going down a path of being able to print even more fine objects um, than what has been previously printed. Is that kind of right? You know, I'm, I'm kind of under the idea that the, the main gist from people is that you're only printing in vase mode. Is that the case? Or now, you know, say with some travel moves, we're able to print outside of vase mode? Right, yes. I, but I believe that it highly comes down to the extruder and how the slicer prepares the files for pellet printing. If your pellet system, which to my understanding, the majority do not have an anti-ooze mechanism, that's why you see so many spiral base mode prints because you you can't do travel moves. That you're gonna have, you know, when the machine picks up to move that head over, all that plastic's gonna keep running out. But what the benefits of the pulsar is the anti-ooze mechanism is gonna kick on. You're gonna have very little to no oozing. You're still gonna have probably a teeny tiny amount, but I don't think anything crazy different that a well-tuned filament system would do. Right. And then it's gonna restart the print in a different position. So we've been working on our Aries pellet system for basically the past two years. And I know there's other pellet systems out there, but filament innovations really prides itself on a turnkey solution. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to ship anything that's hacked together. Because the way we run our business here is that. We want to create a USA-based machine that when you receive it, it's turnkey. You just plug it in and go. And when pellet systems first came out, you kind of had a you had the system, right? But then you had to get the feeding system down. Or how do I hack a slicer together and modify a slicer to make this work? So there was no, you know, I hate to use the word ecosystem again, but it really there was yeah. no ecosystem of pellet extrusion. So you're you're coming over here, you're coming over there, you're going over there. You're trying to say, how do I do all this? And we just want to be the first USA-made customer to say, right. not only do we have a turnkey solution for pellet, but it just works. And that's really what we want to do. And between the hardware and the software, the dryer, getting the automatic feeding system down, you know, we're 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 ready to go. In my opinion, to go full full scale the market and say we we solve this, we solve a lot of problems, we put a lot of work into R and D. And now we have a really cool solution that's going to be reliable for your production facilities. Right. So what's what sort of aspects on the slicing side of things kind of needed to happen in order to create that more turnkey solution? Yeah. So the biggest thing was we need to have independent zone heating. So the Pulsar itself, it's, it's a very large extrusion system. It's not like your typical desktop system. Off the top of my head, I don't, I couldn't tell you how large it is, but I, I believe top of my head, maybe... 20 21 inches in length something like that it's 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 anyway don't quote me on that but it's very large right and so we have to be able to control independent heating zones so there's there's a top heater a bottom heater and a nozzle heating cartridge right or i should say spiral heating zones so in our slicer we can actually go in and set those zones independently so i know it sounds simple but trying to hack that together in a solution Mm -hmm. that works for a customer and an open source slicer. Sure, it can be done. Anything can be done. And I believe that, but it's not clean. It's not intuitive. Mm -hmm. We have that. And credit to Dai's design, they actually geared and created the Pulsar to, to work on standard slicing settings for 2.85 millimeter filament. So now we can say, we can tell the slicer, hey, we're using 2.85 millimeter filament, but really we're using pellets. 
but right. the actual way the G code is generated and the math behind that, it all works. One of the other things we had to do, we had to do some minor tweaking in the slicing program to say, hey, how do we still do a Z lift and a move to a print without needing retraction? Right. So we had to do a little custom code writing with Create It Real, but now we can easily be able to do a Z lift, have retraction disable, have it go over. So it's, it's a lot of little stuff that yeah. went into our slicer. Definitely some big stuff too, but it's all these little convenience features of how we 3D print here at Film Innovations to say, I'm always... Oh, do we have you back now, Mike? Got frozen a bit. Still frozen. You there, Mike? Now, looks like we got some technical difficulties. Mike's going to try to get back into the meeting here. Um, so we'll just wait a few minutes here for him to get back in. So what he was talking about there with the pellet extrusion, um, it's definitely different than filament extrusion. Technically, you're starting out with the absolute raw materials um, of these uh, polypropylenes or PT, PETG materials um, can be even used for TPU in some cases. Um, so there's definitely a cost savings on that side of things when you're starting out with that raw material, printing with that raw material. I'm sure Mike can actually corroborate this, uh, but I believe it's about 50% of a cost savings when you're using pellets uh, to print with instead of filament. Uh, filament has kind of become a commodity uh, simply due to the convenience of uh, consumer level FDM printing um, and has a few of its nuances on its own. Like we talked about the inconsistent diameter thickness sometimes from batches. Um, you really have to dry out uh, materials, whether they are in pellets or filament form. And that can be a little um, you know, a little uh, just stopping people from adopting one system over another, depending upon how uh, uh, how often they're able to dry their filament. Uh, looks like we got Mike back in here now, just connecting with some audio. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're back. Okay. Dude, what the heck? I'm sorry. <laughs> we just had a power surge and everything went down. Jeez, that's all good. That's all good. We're still recording here as well. So okay. I didn't skip a beat. I was starting to talk about a couple differences between pellets and filament. So it's all okay. good. I apologize. Everything just went dark for like 30 seconds and came back <laughs> on. So we're, we're good. We're good. It's that so, it's that Star Wars energy that's going on. May the 4th. That's what it is. Yesterday. That's, yeah. that's what it is. But. I mean, yeah, long story short, our, our slicer overall was built to answer a couple nuances with pellet printing. Mm -hmm. Now we have that. It, it's really built for an easier customer experience. That's really what we're trying to do. Create a, a better customer experience, create an ecosystem for pellet printing where a customer can come in, open the program, slice it like they would for a filament print, send it to the printer, and the printer just works. And that's our goal with, with what we're trying to build here. Yeah, and certainly I know you've seen that, especially in the P&O field, we kind of need these all-in-one solutions 
that just work. Um, yes. You know, very robust machines. Uh, I can say from being a user myself of the, the Kratos here, uh, it's the little brother to the Icarus, the other filament machine that uh, Mike puts out with his team, as well as then the Ares, a little bit larger than that. Um, they're extremely robust machines. Uh, we're printing everything from test sockets to uh, Copoly, the CPX, and uh, polypropylene. Uh, some TPUs we're getting involved with a little bit now, uh, doing some lower extremity orthotics. So, you know, with where you see this kind of heading with filament printing and pellet uh, printing, you know, what does that mean specifically for the P&O field and what could it mean for other industries? Yeah. So as we advance the technology, we get the technology to go faster, easier. I know the big question, and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to answer this from a personal level, not a business level. The million dollar question is, can you make a definitive socket on a 3D printer? And I've always told people, film innovation is going to do everything we can to get us there. We are very fortunate to be working with Mitsubishi Chemical Group. I believe now they're known as Mitsubishi Chemical America. And what we've been able to do is as, as we roll TPX out, you know, we really designed that for, for preparatory socket use. We've gotten amazing feedback on it. And now we want to take that from preparatory use to definitive use. And how do we get there? So we've taken the feedback from all of our clinics that are using it, took that feedback to Mitsubishi Chemical America, actually worked with real chemical scientists, not just saying, hey, I need this and someone does it. And I said, this is what we've gotten back from clinics using CPX. They love it because it is a co-poly-based material. But how do we alter it to make it into, we, we hope, a definitive material? We hope. So some of the feedback we got was, let's let's be able to print it a little bit faster. I mean, we're still, when I say faster, we're, yeah. we're really, we're, talking the difference between two hours and, and, you know, 90 minutes. Yeah, so yeah, we're already we're, pushing we're, the envelope here with. High yeah. So when, when, I, when I say that, it's not like, you know, it's a 14 hour print versus eight hour print. We're already, you know, cranking out CPX sockets, 90 to two hours, but Hey, I, I get it. Time is money. I'm a business owner. I totally get that. So we can go from two hours down to 90 minutes. That's, that's a huge improvement, right? So that was one of the things, how do we make it easier to print? Because any polypropylene with any type of 3d printing is hard. And, you know, CPX is definitely no, no difference than any other polypropylene out there in terms of making it easier to use. So sure, we have tricks and tips for that, but how do we stabilize it for 3D printing? How do we increase the, the Z-axis strength? And that's with any material out there, right? Because that typically right. tends to be the weakest point in a 3D printer is when you're printing, how do we, you know, increase the Z-axis strength? And how do we make it beneficial to the end user as well? We want to make sure that we're not putting any additives in we're not putting anything extra into the material that's going to hurt the end user, the patient having it, right? So we took all this to Mitsubishi Chemical America, sat down with their real chemical scientists and said, hey, we want to take CPX to the next level. So we found out by adding just a little bit of, of chopped carbon fiber, not milled, but just a little bit of chopped carbon fiber, we can actually increase the Z-axis strength. We can increase the rigidity of it just a little bit. One things that one of the feedbacks we got on CPX was people loved how ductile it was. They mm -hmm. loved having just that little bit of flex to it. Yeah. But can we stiffen it up just a little bit? All right. So the way to do that is adding a little bit of chopped carbon fiber. How do we make it a little bit easier to print with? You know, we want to stabilize it during printing. Mm -hmm. So we took the chopped carbon fiber along with, I believe it was four other additives that's in this new version of CPX. 
So we have a total of five ingredients in the new CPX, one of them being uh, chopped carbon fiber, four of them being secret right now because we're still evaluating everything. We don't want to say anything just yet. And we came out with this new material of CPX that we think is going to get us there. We hope get us gets us there, right? I don't want to say any right, legal right. disclaimers yeah. yet, but we have some tests in the field. A lot of our customers got some variations of the new materials we're working on. We found the formula of this new CPX material that we're going to bring to market. It will be in both filament and pellet form. But the idea is we could add chopped carbon fiber to it. It did not come out to be a harsh feeling print because we know we still want to maintain those, those smooth lines. We've seen companies add 12, 15, 20% carbon fiber to it, but it, it doesn't feel good in, in a person's right. hands, right? That's great for mechanical application. That's great for industrial application, but maybe not something that's going to go on the human body that people are going to be touching on a day, on a daily basis. It's going to be a little bit itchy, right? So this new version of CPX still retains a smooth feeling to it, even with the chopped carbon fiber in it. It's much easier to print with, better build adhesion. I have not seen any warping with it yet at all, which is fantastic. And I can tell you the Z-axis strength just from our in-house testing in the shop, I think is definitely improved. Right. And you're you're still getting that that little bit of flexibility that you're going to want in it. So I really think we have something special here with this next round of material. We are moving forward right now to getting placed into filament form. And we're hoping in the next month or so we'll be able to bring the first production version of it to market. Very nice. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to uh, hang out with you last week and uh, get trained up on the Aries uh, a little bit and to see yep. these new sockets. So just wanted to kind of give everyone a, a glimpse a preview of one of the BK sockets, uh, Baloney, that was printed by the Aries while I was there in, um, you know, again, less than two hours. It was probably an hour and a half. Uh, hour and a half for that socket. Yep. Yeah. I can say it's got a, it does definitely has a nicer surface finish than yep. what I felt some other carbon fiber, you know, blended materials to be. Um, I haven't cut this one out yet for the trim lines, but uh, it still has a little bit of give to it. So kind of okay. liking that aspect of it, um, but does still feel a little bit more stiff than, than the C, the regular CPX. So um, yeah, very, very uh, excited to give this a uh, a run for its money and try to try to that break it any way that I can. Yeah. Uh, yep. Just start and, to and see how they break, right? Because they're all at right. some point. It's just a matter of being informed about. Okay, do we start to see some, you know, layer line degradation? Is it, uh, you know, going in only specific areas? Um, I know, uh, you know, prosthetists are going to want to know kind of at what point does that break? And then right. you know, that begs the question to trying to do some type of, um, you know, cyclic testing on it, failure testing. Right. Um, right. I know that Bionic P&O, um, you know, has done uh, a little bit of research into that already with your CPX, right? And a few other materials. Yes, yes. And what was really cool on the Bionic study they did, <clears throat> they tested numerous different types of materials, but they did a traditional versus 3D printed uh, analysis, right? What I thought was a super interesting takeaway from their analysis was they showed that traditionally traditional fabricated sockets were inconsistent in their failure point. Some were stronger, some were less stronger. And the reason for that is you have the human intervention of making the socket, right? So depending, sure. and I'm not a process by any means, right? So I, this is a complete third party view. Yeah. I am not the mechanical process, properties. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm an accountant by trade, right? So I am I am looking at all this and 
it, they would break at different points. It was the same socket that was made numerous times, but because it was made by hand, it broke at different points from mechanical testing. When they saw the 3D printed version of those sockets, they all broke at the same exact level. So it gave a, re a repeatability point for failure. So that way we, right. we shown through the bionic test that you can 3D print with a certain material and it consistently fails at the same point for the same design of prosthetic socket, which I thought was really big because where you have, if you're like, oh, traditional sockets are the way to go. And you know, hey, maybe they are, I don't know. I'm an outsider in this industry, right? But they were not consistent in their failure point. And that's where I think 3D printing sockets, getting the right material with the high flow systems. Mm -hmm. If we get the right material, I think we're going to get to that definitive level. We are not there yet. But I'm going to say this next round of CPX is going to be pretty darn close, if not there. So we, of course, right. have to do our mechanical testing. We got to do our due diligence. But early on feedback, I, we're feeling really good about it. I'm going to yeah. say it like that. Yeah. We're feeling really good about this new version. Absolutely. Yeah, no, again, looking to get this uh, material out to a few of our customers at Ascent Fab, um, as well as, you know, your other uh, industry leading experts there and um, looking yeah. forward to seeing how the material does, you know, in order right. to have some kind of repeatability for testing like that. I mean, that just drives more, um, you know, more forward thinking innovation towards how we're designing sockets specifically for this type of printing um, you know, with this socket being printed in vase mode at about a four to five millimeter thickness, right? We don't have any, um, you know, standards in the field. So it's it's now about trying to come up with those standards for actual socket testing, right? Um, which I do know that there's a socket study group um, through AOPA um, that is doing some other testing cyclically of, of sockets. They recently came out with the study that was looking at uh, laminated sockets specifically, um, and they did appear to also break at kind of different points. Um, don't know exactly how similar that that was and their results, but you know the that's one of the first questions we get asked at Ascent Fab is how long is this going to last? When is it going to break? Right. How does it break? Right. Um, is this safe right. for my patients? Right. So that's um, it's great to hear that from you know, the 3D printing industry experts like yourself trying to come at this from a point of, you know, knowing that information coming forward. Right. And that's where we want to take this as serious as possible. And really, one of the, we're here for two reasons. We're here because we're just listening to our customers. That's all we're doing. We're listening to our customers. What do you like? What don't you like? And then we can take that feedback, go to Mitsubishi and actually sit down with their scientists to create a product for this. I think before when people were trying to print, you know, quote unquote, definitive prosthetic sockets, it was all off the shelf materials, right? So it was, can we just find something off the shelf that's going to work? And if you ask me, the answer is no, I haven't seen any type of right. 3D printed definitive socket. And I know that people say multi-jet fusion sockets are definitive and that's fine. I, I, I people say that, but I've talked to a lot of people and they say they break. I understand. So I sure. even, you know, and I, I think everything breaks, everything ultimately has right. a breaking point, right? Right. So I don't know what that level of mechanical threshold has to be to be able to say this is definitive. I I, I right. don't know. But what I do know is FDM and FGF materials to get to a definitive socket, I believe, have to be unique. I don't believe there's anything off the shelf that can do that. And we're, we can make these advancements like Film Innovations is doing because of Mitsubishi Chemical America working with us and saying, we want to figure this out. 
right. because we have access to a real chemical team that can say, what do you need? Let's get this done. I think once we establish, we as an industry, right, establish what that mechanical testing needs to be, I have a feeling our next generation of CPX is going to be able to do that. But as of right now, it's just speculation, but I think we're going to hit that. Yeah. And again, I know there's um, a different level of comfort from different, um, you know, clinicians that we talk to around the country um, in terms of being able to bill for these devices uh, through insurance. What different L codes are we getting? Are we not getting um, you know, one of which from 3D printing, you know, we don't have the acrylic L code uh, involved with that. Um, now we've started to think about that in a little bit of a different way recently, where um, possibly could you dip, uh, similar to hydro dipping, could you dip a socket that's 3D printed in an acrylic resin? And then, then that would help solidify layers, maybe make it completely smooth. And uh, then you could get that L code. Um, would that work? That might be something we'll test here in the near future. Um, but obviously with having some additions of carbon fiber in here, there are some benefits making that, um, that hopefully increasing that structural integrity, you know, uh, maybe helping to have some people feel more comfortable about billing an ultralight material L code right. where there's carbon fiber, titanium or equal uh, in parentheses at the end of that L code, uh, interpret that as you will, but that's kind of uh, across the board, very split between uh, different prosthetists uh, being comfortable coding for that dependent upon um, what type of carbon fiber is even introduced into this, right? So you mentioned specifically chopped carbon fiber, right? And um, so that's different than what is currently put into other filaments? Yeah, one, so it's, in the 3D printing world, the market can get a little sketchy. Yeah. And anyone that's ever worked with film innovation, so I tell all my customers, here's here's the science behind it, and then here's the marketing behind it. Most companies will, will use a milled carbon fiber, which is essentially just a powder. They're throwing just straight powder into it. And they're calling it carbon fiber 3D printing filament. Sure, there's carbon fiber in it. You're right. Right. But it's 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 dust. It's literal dust. That's right. just being put into a filament where we're actually putting chopped up strands of carbon fiber into it. still small, right? But they're actual carbon fiber strands that are going to lead to additional rigidity and better stabilization in 3D printing. So I we just want to make sure our customers know what we're doing and we give them the facts and the science behind it. To me, just a strict powder going into it, it's, it's not what people think carbon fiber is. They, they, right. they think yeah. strands, they think twill, um, twill style carbon fiber. Mm -hmm. So we actually have physical strands of carbon fiber going into it. Right. And that's, that's something very unique that I think, you know, hasn't really been, um, you know, explored before in, aside from, you know, companies like Mark Forged and Aniso right. Print that, you know, have continuous carbon fiber, fiberglass, even Kevlar, Right, right into their prints, which is a whole other level on its own for for the sure. printing process. Um, we do have a Mark Forge printer, and we've we've done some uh, done some research on some prosthetic feet and knee printing uh, in the past. So we're familiar with trying to print continuous carbon fiber. Um, just, I guess, one question for you there: Do you think you know that type of printing? could even be feasible for prosthetic sockets or is, you know, chopped carbon fiber just that much more attainable? Chopped carbon fiber is much more obtainable and 
much more financially attainable than going to a continuous system. Sure. I mean, it's like anything else. I could guess that continuous system is the future. Is it going to be economically feasible? I, I don't know. Are there, I don't know of any machines large enough to make a socket, yeah. but I, that's not my area, right? It's my expertise. Maybe they are. So I might say, yeah, there's continuous carbon fiber out there this size. Uh, if there is fantastic, I don't know of any um, of being in the industry, but we want to get there. Our whole goal is to make these machines affordable and make sure that customers who are going to invest with film innovation see an ROI on their machines. I mean, these are production scale machines. We take our customer support extremely seriously here. We want to make sure that when you buy an FI machine, you can go in and start printing on day one. Any issues that come up, we, we, we fix it. But the biggest thing for us is we want to make it reliable and cost effective at the same time, which is it's hard to do from a business standpoint, but we, 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 we think we're doing it. Our customers yeah. are very happy with our machines. Yeah, so, sure. I, I, you know, I, I, I think we're there. So to answer your question, I think the chopped carbon fiber is going to be more economical right now. Yeah. And if it can get us there through scientific testing and we find out what those mechanical limits are from the other organization creating those standards, we can make sure we achieve those. But we have a lot of we have a lot of uh, high hopes for our new carbon fiber yeah. CPX and, you know, plus a couple other additives inside of it. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, to testing it out and uh, getting it out there to a couple of our customers as well. Um, so for, you know, uh, everybody, you know, watching here, how can they get in touch with you? What should they do when they think about, you know, pellet extrusion 3D printing in general, um, you know, and considering getting into printing like that? Sure. So reach out to us, uh, filminnovations.com. We have a contact us form there. Uh, all the contact forms that people are submitted, go either myself or our staff here at Film Innovations. You'll get a response right away. I know we're running out of time here for the podcast, but there's numerous benefits of pellet printing, especially for the OMP sector. And it's a real quick plug. Pellet printing opens you up to soft obdurometer materials as well. So we already have a 75A being used. We have a 60A working on getting here in the shop, but I know silicone liners, silicone consistency as an outsider, I've been told is very critical in the OMP industry. We're not going to be printing with silicone in a pellet system, but if we can get a plastic that has a similar durometer, now we're talking. And that we are actively, and that will only work in a pellet system because anyone who ever tried to run soft materials through an extruder on a filament-based system, no, it just is not going to work. But that filament clogging, uh, you know, stretching, all those issues with soft filaments go away when you go to a pellet system. So we're going to have some soft stuff coming out very soon for our pellets. Very cool. Well, thanks again, Mike. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to have you on another time because we didn't have enough time here today to go further <laughs> into pellet. Uh, but let's just keep iterating on it. Let's uh, let's see what we can do. Um, you know, I appreciate it. For the uh, the time last week and uh to everyone that's watching the podcast here today fabrication friday coming at you from ascent fabrication thanks again for watching and listening and uh yeah reach out to either of us to learn more thanks thank you sir thank you have a good one yeah